you in the name of all that is good, all that is sacred, and in the warm and loving energy of this community, Spiritual Life Center. If you're joining us for the first time, we especially want to welcome you because we know that you are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Thank you for joining us on your unique path today, and we hope you enjoy this special message from this past Sunday's service. The morning has broken. And know it's morning even if you get this message at some other time of the day. Because morning is always happening whenever there is a new beginning. Today is a magnificent celebration of new beginnings. We're commemorating Easter. We're commemorating new life. You know, as I was reflecting on the Easter resurrection story, I thought about the journey we've all been on the past year or so as a result of the pandemic. I think many of us have felt our own sense of crucifixion on some level or another, unless you've been absolutely removed from the world. But I'm sure some of us have been feeling it directly, others indirectly. Some may just been feeling a small sense of crucifixion psychologically. You know, personally, I know that two of my colleagues transitioned as a result of COVID. Two of my brothers were infected to lesser to greater degrees. And a very close friend of mine who I talked to recently said he was in ICU for two weeks and he thought he wasn't going to make it. He did, and he said he had a whole new perspective on life. He wasn't quite sure what that meant. Yet others may have been affected by business losses and maybe not connecting with their friends or relatives or their travel was restricted. They didn't go on vacations that they had planned or, or maybe they just experienced some sort of psychic angst from time to time over this past year. But here's the thing about the resurrection journey. Just as we think that life has slammed the door on us just at that moment, we can suddenly discover a greater good has been waiting for us. And that some of the greatest accomplishments sprout from the most difficult challenges that we have in life. I recall the story of a football player. He was a really very good. In fact, I think he was a high school All-American. And he was into his last season in his senior year, and he got into a car accident and unfortunately was paralyzed from the waist down. And he was in the hospital and his coach came to see him. You know, some of his teammates came to see him and they were commiserating and saying, maybe we need to pray. And, you know, they just kind of had a, 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 an attitude of defeatism and, and, and fear and doubt and worry. 
And that star player who was paralyzed from the waist down said, you know, don't feel sorry for me. Yes, I have an accident. Yes, I have an, uh, he called it an illness, but I'm not dead. There's still a lot of life for me to live. He had a tremendous attitude. He said, give me some information because I want to know something about this wheelchair Olympics someone's been telling me about. To make a long story short, he worked really hard and became a gold medalist in one of the events in the World Chair Olympics. You know, he had his version of a resurrection from what we might consider an extreme crucifixion experience for someone that young and so talented and so much of a future ahead of him. And not everyone's going to have such a story. But we all have our own unique crucifixion experiences from time to time that we can resurrect from. So I want to ask you today, are you ready for your resurrection? Are you ready for your resurrection? Now, I can't hear you, but I can feel the energy of your yes. You know, it's a spiritual journey of ascension, which we've been spiritualizing every aspect of our life and see that every step that we go through in life, we look at through a spiritual lens, a spiritual perspective. And part of this journey involves breaking up of the old limited states of mind in order to prepare us for the new inspiration and new life. And we allow this inspiration and life to flow through our awareness. The Easter story, of course, is a crucial stage of this journey. Easter represents that moment in our lives when it's revealed to us that we are spirit or consciousness with bodies rather than bodies with consciousness. Easter symbolizes the breakthrough in which we are free from death. We're free from material limitation. We're free from our self-imposed prisons. Easter proves that consciousness is the cause. Consciousness is the maintainer. Consciousness is the sustainer of our lives and life itself. It's a call to all of us to see beyond the rim of our opinion and to understand that we can look to the master teacher, Jesus the Christ, the great example, the great master. He was a shining model of our infinite possibilities. And we look to him to see how he allowed for the entire universe, the cosmos, to be conscious as him. So this time of the year, we ask, what did he do? What does the Easter story have to tell us what we must do to experience our own personal resurrections? Well, first of all, Jesus surrendered all. He surrendered all. We know that song, I Surrender All. So that his small identity, the small self, could yield and reveal the divine identity that's within each and every one of us. Like I said, he's the great example and still is, and not the great exception. He was exceptional because he exemplified the rule, the divine possibility that we all have. With the reason that he said, greater things than I, you shall do. So this resurrection story, this resurrection of life, this rising up, this great expansion of consciousness has a particular pattern to it when we look at the story closely. 
and we can just understand that pattern, then we can decode it and begin to remain conscious through all the experiences that we're going through in that pattern. And when we do, then our life will rise and shine and flow with power, will flow with the presence, will flow with the love of God itself. And we will sing our own version of the morning has broken. Understand this pattern is clearly defined in the Easter story, and it begins with a betrayal of some kind. There is always the Judas factor within our circumstances. There's always the Judas factor in our situations. And I'm sure most of us have experienced that Judas kiss where sometime or another in our life we've been betrayed by life. Maybe a plan did not work out the way that we had counted on it to work out. Maybe somebody that you love left you or you left somebody and that you thought you loved or your release from a job or business venture did not work out for you. Maybe the body temple has failed you and somebody may have died that you did not want to die at that particular time and you said, oh my God, why have you done this to me? Somewhere along the line in the human experience, we've all experienced a betrayal, or at least a seeming betrayal. But the betrayal itself lies Within it, the resurrecting power of the force of God, of the presence. You know, when Jesus Christ was kissed by Judas, which was a necessary element in the ultimate drama of resurrection, Jesus said, do what you have to do, but do it quickly. Because I got a resurrection to get to. When we understand who and what we are, when that stuff seems to be coming down on us when we have our own stuff pressures on our life. We can say, do what you have to do, but do it quickly because I've got some growing to do. I've got some expanding of my consciousness to do. There's a power within me that's not going to be activated. It's going to be late until I need it. When all seems lost and seems to be breaking loose during this time of betrayal, it is in that moment when we're under that crisis, when our attention becomes very focused and that latent something can be kicked into high gear. And we look back over our life and we say, if that had not happened, I would not be the individual or the person I am today. You know, when we come to Easter, I always remember my own crucifixion story my own crucifixion experience. And, you know, many of you heard me talk about how I went through some very riotous living. I didn't really see myself as a worthy individual, and my life collapsed despite having everything in life, and then eventually I had nothing. And the only thing that was left was me and the presence. And at that moment, I thought my life was over. I was ready for it to be over. It was over as I thought it was. But then I was pushed to engage in more self-reflection, self-examination that led me to a journey of spiritual exploration to become a minister to do what I'm doing here today. There was a greater expression of life waiting to get my attention. God the force was saying to me in so many words, hey, I'll be here when he gets here. 
He just has to get himself together. All of that forced me to move to a state of self-forgiveness and love. And that was a precondition for me to be moved and catapulted to some higher purpose. Out of the seeming darkness, out of the seeming betrayal, came the light of a greater purpose and understanding for my own personal life. I say that to say that whatever may be happening to us or to you individually or seems to be happening to you, know that it's here for you to go beyond yourself, to go beyond your boundary, to go beyond what you have ever known before in and as your life. Know that whatever situation it is, it's calling for the highest and best within you to shine and ever shine. So when we begin to see any seeming betrayal from that vantage point, and we begin to practice that way of being in the world, we move from being a victim to a victor to a vessel of the Spirit of God. Everybody gets kissed by Judas. Everybody gets kissed in some way, shape, or form. And we realize that Jesus was the ultimate example of what not can happen to us. That is, it's not what happens to us, it's how we respond to what happens to us. So he taught in order to activate that regenerating power within our soul that allows for that magnificent resurrection of our being, forgiveness is the key. You know, someone told me that forgiveness means giving up hope for a better past. Giving up hope for a better past. Because, you know, a victim has an unforgiveness story. A victim will tell you who did it to them, how many times, how long, how abused they were, what, you know, they went on to say, you know, sometimes you want to say when you keep hearing the story over and over again, as I think about each Easter, please get off the cross. Somebody else needs the wood. Because resurrection is built on a consciousness of forgiveness. Only then can we see the gift in the seeming betrayal. When life or people or situations betray the pictures that we have in our mind or how things could be or should be. You know, that's why Jesus said, forgive it 70 times 7. He meant that as a way of life. He did not mean, okay, let me start counting 70 times 7, figuring out how many times I have to forgive before I can just hold resentment against that person. He probably knew people at that time around him couldn't count up that high, and it was an impossible task for them to say, okay, 70 times 7, 1, 2, 3. No, he wasn't talking about that. He was basically saying you have to make forgiveness a way of life until just so that it can build in your soul a vibration of not being holding on to something that is not helping you. You know, when he was on the cross, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. They're operating from a certain state of consciousness. They think they know what they're doing but they're being motivated by an invisible attractor, invisible attractor fields that are expressing through them. It was not really them. It was not their true spiritual self. It's just the particular energy field and consciousness that was speaking through them at that time. They were just doing what they were doing. 
because that's who they thought they were in that particular moment. They had forgotten their true identity. And if you and I begin to understand that, then you can understand how wonderful it is to forgive, to release the resentment, to release any animosity, to release any angst around a particular story of whatever has happened to you or seemingly happened to you. Because then you can set yourself free. So forgive them for they know not what they do. And you know exactly what I'm talking about, many of you, I'm sure. Many of you developed and unfolded in a wonderful way and have gone back to make amends to other people that you have transgressed. And you may say to people sometimes, you know, you know, I'm really sorry for what I did. But that wasn't me. And they look closely at you and they say, oh, no, that was you. That was you, all right. And you say, no, 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 that wasn't me. I mean, I was caught by something. I was ignorant. I just didn't know something was moving through me that wasn't the real me. Something was running me. And when we begin to see life like that, that things are running people, then it becomes easier to forgive and release that energy so that we can be free. And then we keep looking at the resurrection story and its pattern. And we see another trait that Jesus anchored and that his attention was always in the now moment. This was exemplified by him not falling into the temptation to live in the past or in the future as symbolized by the two thieves. One was on the right of him, one was on the left of him. And one represented the past. One represented the future. And the thief representing the past said to Jesus, Jesus, I know what I've done. He was living in the past. I don't know why you're here, but I know why I've done. And the other thief said, what's going to happen when this is over? Where are we going? So one was worried about the future and the other was anchored in the past. And Jesus said, today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. He was not tempted to go in the past or the future. He was in the nowness of the moment, and he was free. Please understand that a lot of suffering comes from the fact that being anchored in the past or projecting some worry from the past into the future. What happens is that you and I may have just created a story that has nothing to do with the mildness of the moment. Oftentimes, your story about the past is a projection into the future, and you tell that story over and over and over again. It may not be you, maybe other people, you know, that identify themselves as the story. And they won't let the story go, and they're getting a payoff from the story. So we say things like, let me tell you about my story. And then we act it out. And we won't even let a triumph happen because if we let a triumph happen, you know what we have to do? We have to get rid of the story. And you know exactly what the next year is going to be like because it's going to be just like this year. Hopefully that's nothing like that for us in the future. Nothing like this past year. Because the story that you're telling is not going to serve us. You know, that story, it may have a different cast. It may be in a different locale. 
you know, you may have a change in sets. You may have a change in actors, but it's the same story. It's the same script. You know, in the Easter story, after the resurrection, Jesus came back. And the disciples saw him. They were a little nervous about this. And Jesus said, you know, I'm here. It's really me. Look at my scars. I'm eating food. This is a real body. But you notice he did not go over the crucifixion story at all. He did not say, shh, did you see what they did to me, man? Do you know what Judas said about me? Do you know that Peter denied me? He denied me three times. They abandoned me, man. They made me put on this cross and I had to carry the cross and it was heavy. He did not do that. He gave everyone their charge, their walking papers and said, go forth and heal all nations. His attention was on the nowness of this moment. He released the story. He heard the God story. And that God story applies to all of us that says, you are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. And then something else happens. We begin to understand and grasp the final part of the pattern of spiritual resurrection. We hear, we understand the meaning of Jesus when he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. You and I begin to grasp that level of surrender. First of all, he said, Father, because that was the language that they spoke at that time. That's what the people called God. And secondly, there was such an intimate connection. There was, there was such a connectedness between them and the presence of God. And he said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. There was absolute trust. When he's saying in this very moment for us, commend our spirit. Because he knew that the very moment you want God consciousness, in that very moment you will the will of God to be done in your life. In that very moment, what you want is God more than any change in the external circumstances. And when you do, you have released the blockages, the resistances, and you begin to have the realization of your oneness with the presence of God, and it will express itself in terms of a resurrection. It will express itself in creativity. Very often, you and I may want something else more than we want God consciousness. And I recall a, a man who was highly spiritual. I guess you could even call him a guru of sorts. He helped a lot of people, but at this moment, he had a very serious disease, an illness that he could not get over. And he went to some healers, and a number of people kept doing things for him, treating for him, but he could not rise above the illness that he had. So one day he said, basically, you know, I don't care if I never get rid of this illness. I want God more than anything. And in that moment, his illness disappeared because the resistance disappeared. He tried to get health more than he wanted God consciousness. That's what he's doing up until that moment. So when you and I say, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, what we're saying, I want God conscious more than I want anything else. And because God is life. And when we give up resistance, life takes over. Our resurrection begins to happen. A new birth takes over. Renewal springs up for us. 
Well, as I bring this Easter message to a close, or as they say in the old school, bring it on home, James, bring it on home. We're reminded that the Easter story is a story of resurrection. It reminds us there is something within all of us that is made in the image and likeness and out of God itself. Our intention, our hunger and thirst, our prayer life is the precondition for that self-actualizing to take place, to be full bloom in and as our life. And understand we alone can't make it happen, but we can create the conditions to make it welcome. You know, as we look at our collective world and see what's going on, we see the experience that seemingly are betraying what we know life ought to be. You know, life ought to be about peace and love and harmony and wholeness. Yet we see crucifixion experiences of maybe a pandemic. We see mass shootings. We see abuse and neglect of other people. Even we look around the world where wherever there's genocide wiping out whole generations and countries. There's the belief in separation that's playing out in this country and around the world where we're not realizing that we're all on the same boat. And sometimes it makes you want to just check out, just tune out, or just indulge the belief that it's beyond hope. And somehow we'll never get better. But understand, Seeming betrayals are opportunities to go beyond our self-imposed limitations and allow the limitless nature of God to resurrect our life. God transforms our world a little at a time by means of us. As the song goes, God needs us to shine God's light. And when we allow light to shine, we will rise above any crucifixion experience. And we will rise, we will rise, and we will rise, but we must surrender. And when you and I surrender all, we let go. We let God. And the will of God is done in and as our life. And you'll consciously, you'll do the same thing like the grass does. You know, when the grass is covered by cement, it does not have the faculty to create excuses. It just grows through the cracks. Sometimes it grows through the cement itself. It does not say, oh, you know how long the cement's been on top of me? You don't know who put it there. I can tell you who put it there. You know, they put it there, and now it's so thick. It's five inches thick. I don't know what I'm going to do. But understand that inner light, that inner life, Inside the grass just grows on anyway. There is a spiritual resurrection. There is the Easter of your life that is always available. There's always a new morning dawning for us. Well, I can't leave this service without saying this on Easter Day. It's kind of part of a, my tradition. And it's something that I say is not in the official Bible, it's in the Bible according to Trapp. And according to the Bible, according to Trapp, that after the authorities thought they had gotten rid of this nuisance of a man called Jesus, Jesus did his thing and he came back. And he said, Tada! Actually, he said, Tadao. 
how you like me now. And he clicked up and he said, I'm free, baby. I'm free. You be free. It's Easter time. Get ready for your resurrection. Peace and blessings to you. We are grateful for the opportunity to share with you today and hope you've taken something from this Sunday's message. If you'd like to hear more from Spiritual Life Center, be sure to click subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening from. You can find out more about our community on our website at www.slcworld.org. We look forward to being a part of your continued spiritual journey. Wherever you are, God is and all is well. Oh